0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to christchurchlondon.org. Thank you very much, everybody. This is a great privilege for me because usually um, we only get to talk the little bit in between songs. And uh, now I have you captive for about 25 minutes. Um, I have prepared what I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to go with a combination of uh, new school, phone for stopwatch, and old school, paper. Who's, who's seen paper before? Just Georgie. Great. <laughs> when, I, when I said the same thing at the central service, there was like a, a sort of like, yeah, yeah, we've seen paper. And there was like half of the room were like definitely confident that they'd seen paper. And the other half of the room were like, you're definitely lying. You're 100% lying. Um, As I say, it's really, really uh, nice to be here and in this capacity speaking rather than playing and singing. Johnny, thank you so much for leading us in that time of worship. It was just amazing. And one of the things I've really, really loved seeing develop coming to this service since it's begun is just the amazing community that you guys actually have developed amongst yourselves um at the beginning it was a little you know a little tentative everyone was like who's who's that dude who's that girl you know everyone was kind of just sussing each other out and now it's so wonderful to see times of worship like that happen and that only happens when there is community amongst people so it's just so wonderful to see that um so we're in the middle of a series called Visions of God, and right at the heart of these talks is how meeting with God transforms our lives. And our way kind of into talking about this are stories from Scripture, um, and even though those stories are set long time ago uh, in completely different circumstances to the ones that we find ourselves in, um, what we can learn about the character of God is unchanging, and so it's just as true for us today as it was then when those things happened. Um, and, uh, and we see that when we encounter God, everything changes. And we'll see that for these, for these characters in the, in the uh, passage that we read today. So um, our passage from today is uh, from parts of Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And this follows the Israelites' miraculous departure from slavery in Egypt as they venture towards the promised land. So uh, let's have Exodus 13 up here. This is, from, this is from verse 21. So by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is from uh, chapter 14, verse five and six. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. That services could also be read slavery. Uh, So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. And then we skip forward to verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, central to this piece of scripture is the might or the strength of God, and therefore his people's response to that. The worship of God is action that flows from our hearts. So if we believe that God is powerful, which is kind of a head thing, then the next challenge is to respond to him by allowing that truth to transform our lives, so it moves from just being something we understand intellectually to something that we experience and live out through our hearts. That's kind of a big component of worship. Uh, And throughout this scripture, we can see three different kind of worshipful responses to the mightiness of God. And those three things are obedience, stillness, and remembrance. Now, I sometimes find it interesting to try and spot patterns, which probably doesn't seem like the most interesting pastime. But nonetheless, um, most often it's in music, maybe looking at different styles of music and seeing what kind of gives them their unique little touch. But if you take the time, you can kind of look through Scripture and find similar patterns. And although this might be a little simplistic, I often notice the pattern of God speaking and people responding. You don't often seem to get a super well-reasoned argument with like 15 bullet points as to why the individual has obeyed God. It's like, well, you know, I, I thought it was a good idea and it lined up with what I was planning on doing later in the week and then all this kind of stuff. It's usually just that God speaks and the person responds. It's almost as if scripture is telling us that the obvious response when God speaks is simply obedience. As though obedience just kind of sits in the background of our lives, ticking away a character trait that just helps us make good decisions. And as I was thinking about this more, I was thinking that obedience to me seems like a combination of trusting and surrendering. And like many of the characteristics that truly make up a successful life, At a surface level, obedience doesn't really seem like something that's that exciting to grow in. Like, I want to get better at doing what somebody asks me to do. Perhaps there are lots of negative connotations to the word for you. Maybe the very mention of the word obedience just kind of switches you off. It can make us think of domineering characters just wanting their subordinates to carry out their every wish. And these days, it seems like our generation... We can't just bring ourselves to simply do something that we've been asked to just because we've been asked to do it. We need to know why. We need to get right to the heart of why. And I still think that that was true for Moses' time. And I think part of the reason why that is the case is because real obedience is not really just about doing what you're asked to do. There's something about the motivation behind your actions. See, God sees straight to the heart of our actions and that's in part what 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 is talking about. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And of course, we're unlikely to respond in a positive way to the requests of somebody that we don't trust. And that's kind of why I think about obedience as having that, that trust component. And actually, it was only just a couple of weeks ago where Johnny was talking about building a personal history with God... And trust is one of those things that's formed when we develop a personal history with someone. Over time and through different circumstances, we, you know, we may find them to be true to their word, that they respond to us kindly when we're vulnerable, or that they're invested in seeing the best for our lives. And the list could go on and on and on and on of the things that build trust between individuals. And we can develop that kind of personal history with God. And Moses was a guy that had that kind of personal history with god he had walked through some incredibly challenging scenarios in his life and had experienced firsthand the grace kindness strength and guidance of god so when we see here moses so readily responding to god's commands his requests it's probably because he was very well practiced and experienced in the discipline of obedience and it really is a discipline Starting from the very small, gradually it becomes easier and easier to trust and surrender to God. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, God gives Moses a command which he passes on to the Israelites. And that was about moving to a particular part of the wilderness and camping out right there by the river. When Moses was obedient, it changed things for those that were around him. It might have seemed a bit weird to the Israelites. Why are we we camping out here? They could turn around and they could see the the Egyptian army pursuing them. Really, we're just going to sit here by this river and just wait for them to arrive. That's that's really what we're going to do. If you you read the story fully, it says about how on the side that the Israelites were standing on, the cloud of God's presence would be on one side and then on the other side with the Egyptians it would be this pillar of fire and almost like creating this confusion for the Egyptians so they had no idea almost where the Israelites were they were like oh it's day no it's night we can't pursue them now and it was the complete opposite on the other side it was one of the ways in which God was true to his word when he said commanded them to uh, go and camp out by that river and as I said when Moses was obedient it changed things for those around him and I believe that the same is true for each of us day to day the different roles we fulfill bring us into contact with different people that we influence and for Moses his obedience in this case resulted in the people of Israel being saved from the Egyptians once again but who knows what your obedience might unlock or release for the people that are around you See, God has graced each of us to contribute to the thriving of the environments that we find ourselves in. Maybe that's university, maybe that's in our first jobs, maybe that's building a career, whatever it might look like. Our obedience plays a big part in the thriving of the places that we find ourselves. Just to give an example of this, the environment that I find myself in is working for a church and being responsible for the music, responsible for the worship of the church. And um, last week at Love London, we had some great times of worship, if I do say so myself. It didn't really have anything to do with me, but I absolutely just loved lifting my head and just looking out at that room, a sea of people with their arms raised, just kind of declaring their hearts before God. It's honestly an awesome, awesome sight. Um, But at the start of the year, I felt prompted to kind of try and form a band from across as many of the services as we could possibly do. And to be honest, I was a bit nervous about it, because we'd never done it before, and we hadn't all played together in, in that way, and that, the, that group of people that played together last week had never played together before. So it felt like a bit of a risk, but hey, risks are fun, so why not? Um, and at the beginning of the week, as we were rehearsing together, I was reminded of Psalm 133, which speaks about the blessing that we can experience when we dwell together in unity, and it just speaks about how it overflows and is just this abundant blessing, so for me, part of the story of Love London last week was my obedience to God's leading. I felt like it was God that spoke to me and said, hey, maybe put this band together from across the services. Let's experience unity in that way. And that was confirmed quite, quite naturally through some conversations that I had with people. Sometimes God speaking to us doesn't have to be this big bolt of lightning. We had plenty of lightning last night, didn't we? Um... But it doesn't have to be this big bolt of lightning with something written really clearly in the sky. Sometimes it can just be a simple conversation with a person that said, hey, you know what? I was thinking it would be a great idea if you could put a band together from across the services. Let's experience the full breadth of this church. And so that might seem like something that's really, really small. And in reality, it probably was. But there will have been so many small things that join together to form those times and those moments of unity that we experience together. You know, it would have been David praying and asking God, what should I speak on? What message can I bring to encourage the church? It would have been Andy Tilsley and Faith who put the whole program for the day together and asking and saying, okay, God, what can we do to make this all fit together so well? Or perhaps it was each of you deciding to be present in those times of worship, deciding, hey, I'm going to engage today. I'm going to really lean into what God is doing. See, that decision feeds into that atmosphere of trusting and surrender as we choose to not allow our tiredness to rob us from encountering God. Or we step out in singing when maybe we would perhaps normally feel a little bit awkward about that. Or we choose to speak to somebody that we've never met before. So it's kind of got me thinking that I should be paying careful attention to the continuous forming of the habit of obedience in my life. I think that would probably be true for each of us. So we saw in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, that that Moses tells the people that they should be still because God's going to fight on their behalf. And that's kind of what this passage has to say about what obedience looks like in our lives. It looks like doing absolutely nothing at all. It's all about stillness. And perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, Stillness, are you having a laugh? You have no idea how busy my life is. I just can't stop and be still. So much rests on my activity, on my doing. And I hear you, honestly, I really, really do. I'm challenged by this all the time. You know, I'm I'm one person that has sole responsibility for about 65 people in a worship team spread out across five different services, all part of different communities like this. Each of them with different setups, you know, Johnny here on the acoustic guitar, beautiful. Other services with bigger, different things. And um, so I'm, I'm challenged because there's so much good that could be done. There's so many good things that could be done. But I've found that my busyness leads me to focus on what I'm doing. It leads me to focus on my own gifts and my striving to make things happen and make things change. And less, less reliance On God and him winning victories on my behalf. You see, if the people of Israel had decided that they were going to follow their own clever ideas and fight the Egyptians themselves, now we're not going to camp out here, we can probably take them, they probably would have suffered heavy, heavy losses, all in the pursuit of proactivity. And to be honest, in this situation, it would have been disobedience if they did that. God specifically asked them to be still so he could fight on their behalf. And I wonder how many battles each of us might be losing because we aren't being still and allowing God to fight on our behalf. In this busy city of London, stillness is really, really hard to find. I've lived here my whole life. I talked about my noticing, and my love of noticing trends earlier, and here's another one. And actually we experienced it earlier in the time of worship together. So I've been noticing that it seems at the moment that when we are most powerfully meeting with God, it's like a stillness just falls amongst us something that can't just be manufactured just by standing still and being quiet, but a peace that seems to just hover in the atmosphere. I believe this is God's kindness to us, living in one of the busiest, most crazy cities in the world. How many of us are just tired? Sometimes just moving through this city can feel like a mammoth task. And in these moments of stillness like we experienced, time just seems to slow down. And I've experienced the weight of my own troubles The things I'm worried about, the things I'm scared about, just lifting from my shoulders. And so as I've said before, so in Exodus 14, chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 14, we see Moses telling the people of Israel, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Now stillness is something that the contemplative tradition understands really, really well. I grew up within... The charismatic church tradition and I hadn't really come across contemplation before in that environment and I hadn't really seen it until I kind of joined this church and most of my experience with the presence of God up to that point had been about pursuing him chasing after him giving of myself in worship and I think for a lot of people that kind of grew up within that similar tradition it would kind of be the same we didn't really learn about just stopping and pausing and just letting God come to you So I'm kind of at the beginning of a journey of letting God come to me through stillness and contemplation. But I believe that there's so much that I'll learn about God, so many different aspects about his character that I'll discover. And so many things that he will do and change in me as I kind of investigate this further. As a uh, quick little aside here, um, this has been something that my mentor, Lars, who many of you know, um, has really encouraged me to do. Um, And in different seasons of life, I've really benefited from the input of others who are further ahead in the journey of faith than I am. Inviting others to speak into our lives is part of the process of God growing humility in us. Another one of those great character traits that's not particularly exciting to grow in. So if you don't already, I want to encourage you to get alongside somebody that you respect and is maybe a little bit further along the journey than you are. And ask them to speak into your life and should be someone that you can actually physically meet with not really an inspirational person on Instagram but a person that you can really know and that can really know you and back to the passage after first following God's command the Israelites kind of had a, a crisis of confidence when they were confronted with the advancing Egyptian army and the pure honest I think if most of us were honest we probably would have done the same God's asked you to camp out, he's asked you to be still and then suddenly you see this army advancing on you. You're going to think, "Um, is this really the right thing to be doing right now, just sitting here? We're kind of like bait, just standing out there. And the thing is, whilst we're on this road of stillness, the temptation to grab hold of the wheel again can feel ever present. And God's not put off by that. He's not put off by our sudden wobbles in faith and sudden crises of confidence but simply Moses responds with a great display of confidence in God and a confidence born out of that personal history that speaks to him into his current situation and says hey you know God's rescued you before when you did what he asked you to he's probably going to do that again See, since leaving Egypt, God's presence in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night had been leading and guiding the Israelites. As we read before, verse 22 said that neither pillar had left them either day or night. And this was a physical reminder of God's presence among them. We can know God with us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, leading us, guiding us, correcting us, encouraging us. And just as Nehemiah spoke about the pillars of cloud and fire being linked to God's compassion. Likewise, God sending the Holy Spirit shows his goodness towards us. Christ himself said in in John chapter 16, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And if you're familiar with the story, the next bit of it, it goes that the people of Israel didn't have to raise a hand. God commanded Moses to raise his staff and the waters of the Red Sea parted and the people of Israel walked through and as they got across safely to the other side and the Egyptians pursued them, the waters returned back over them. They didn't have to raise a hand, they simply just walked. And God protected his people just like he said he would. And just as Moses responded to the people of Israel saying, stand firm by doing nothing, I believe God would say to us, as we're on this journey of obedience, stand firm, be still, and rely on me to do the work. Practically, this might mean reprioritizing some of our time so that we can practice being still and make space for it. Because when we're still, not only does God work on our behalf, but he reminds us through scripture and the stories of our own lives how he has done this before. In both Exodus 13 and Exodus 15, we see examples of this kind of remembrance. God commands Moses to remind the people of what he has done. And this is another pattern, another one of those famed patterns that I love recognizing, that we see in picture. Where like in Psalm 145, verse 4, we see the scriptures say that one generation shall declare of your good deeds to the next. But why remember? Why does it even matter that we share what God has done with the next generation or even in our communities with those of us around us? Well, it's because remembrance equips us for the future. It prepares those that follow or those that are around us to not fall into the same pitfalls as us. Remembrance teaches us that God has done this before and he can do it again. This is part of the reason that we give so much time and space to singing together. The songs we sing contain stories and the victories of God. They remind us of who he is, aspects of his character, what he has done and who we are in the light of that. You know, singing the creed again is such an amazing just declaration of faith telling us of these different aspects of the nature of God. And as I was preparing this today, I was reminded of a prayer meeting that um, some of us staff had a few weeks back. And during that time of prayer, I was, felt prompted to kind of cast my mind back to that moment that I became a Christian when I surrendered, chose to surrender to my life to Jesus. You see, I was born in a Christian home. Um, Christian faith was not only spoken about, but it was lived out in many, many different ways. Uh, One of those ways would be that my mum would read Bible stories to my brother and I every every night when we went to bed, and she would pray with us. And one night after she finished reading, she said to me, Rich, if you want Jesus to be your friend, you can ask him to come and live in your heart, and he will be with you always. She said goodnight, switched the light off, went downstairs. And on my own, as a little innocent six-year-old boy, I remember asking Jesus to come and live in my heart and I felt such a rush of joy like it was like coursing through my veins or something and I jumped up out of bed and I ran downstairs and I said, Mommy, daddy, Jesus is living in my heart and from that moment till now I have never been without that friend living with me, guiding me. Life hasn't always been easy. Fear shouts loud and bitterness tries to grab at me. But every time the armies of life bear down on me, that same friend that promised that I would never be alone whispers his peace into my heart. And when the temptation to follow my own clever ideas rises like a storm, his voice calls me to be still. In a moment, I'm going to ask Johnny to come back up and just play gently, and I'll pray a prayer over us. And if you want to make the words of this prayer your own, you can you can say amen out loud or quietly in your own heart at the end. If you're not sure that you want to make this prayer your own, that's totally okay too. You can just use this space to reflect. Why don't you stand with me as we pray together? Let's pray. King Jesus. We thank you for the victory that you won at the cross. As you gave your life for us and then overturned our greatest enemy, the very power of death. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us of your strength and your goodness. Would you convince our hearts today of your love for us and help us learn to be still Lord, would you remind us of the victories you have won in our lives, that we might grow in trusting and surrendering to you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit Christchurchlondon.org.